here's today's transformational truth. God will dismantle your old pain and use it to build your platform. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Today's guest is Tamara Andrus. Tamara is the nation's number one thought leader in spiritual entrepreneurship. She is an ordained minister and purpose activator on a mission to free and propel entrepreneurs globally to make their uniquely purposed kingdom impact. Her Fit and Faith podcast is globally ranked, and it's regularly topping the spiritual, religious, and business charts. She is the founder of Core Creatives, a community of rooted entrepreneurs, as well as the Joyful and Whopreneur coaching programs. Her heart is to illuminate the joy and activate people from the inside out using testimonials and tools to sharpen mission-driven leaders in the marketplace. As a traveling speaker, published two-time author, and contributor to well-known magazines, podcasts, conferences, and summits, Tamara has utilized her entrepreneurial and relational expertise to align thousands within their businesses for prosperity and profit. She has over a decade of firsthand experience with startups and nonprofit development and serves within advisor positions for emerging companies. Her most treasured role in developing the kingdom is as a wife and mother of two. And the most exciting thing about all of this is that she is just getting started. Let's jump into this incredibly rich interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Transformational Truths. Here's today's transformational truth. God will dismantle your old pain and use it to build your platform. We've all had to navigate pain in our hearts and emotional pain that lingers can be tricky because rather than go through the process of healing from it, we're often tempted to find ways to simply numb it. And speaking as someone with experience, I've discovered that it can unknowingly become the motivating force behind the kind of life we choose to build. But what we usually don't realize is that we're building on sand and sooner or later, we're gonna to have to deal with our foundation. The good news is that no matter how long we've been wounded, we can still live a life that's healed, that is whole, that is fulfilled. And helping us unpack this idea today is Tamara Andrus. Tamara, thank you for being on Transformational Truth. I'm really excited you're here. Wow, that was incredible. Thank you for just opening this time together with that. And um, I am such a fan of poetic language and that was exactly <laughs> that. And I'm already getting deposits of, of how I wanna share and, and where I hope that it leads based on experiences that I've had with the Holy Spirit and experiences that I've had in the flesh. So thank you for making way for it. Oh, absolutely. Well, we're honored. Tamara, uh, over the past few weeks, uh, my wife Tina and I have had the privilege of getting to know you. Um, and I have to say that we love your heart and we love everything you're about. And every once in a while, and I've actually shared this, I actually shared this with my team this past week. So every once in a while, uh, you connect with someone and you know it goes beyond just a casual connection. We both have podcasts. We both are, in fact, you interviewed my both my wife and I on yours. Um, you meet a lot of great people, but once in a while you meet somebody that goes beyond a casual connection and it really genuinely feels like a kingdom connection. And that's how we feel 
about you. You are a believer. You're a wife, you're a mother, you're a successful entrepreneur. Uh, you're a leader to leaders. And as far as anyone watching your life goes, all right, Tamara, you seem to have it all together. You really do. But, but really what only people see is a piece of your story. Um, and I think it's easy sometimes to look at someone's life and say, well, you know what? I mean, you know, she's got it all together. She's probably always had it all together. Um, she, she's probably always, you know, she probably got a great start and it makes sense for someone like Tamara to be successful. It makes sense for somebody like her to, to be a business, a woman of business and a leader. Um, but the truth is, Tamara, you've had to overcome some obstacles to get here. Can you share just a little bit of your story with us? Yeah, I would love to. Um, I think as you're sharing that, it's the knowing that there's a difference between treading water, right, and and trying so desperately just to breathe, and the difference between actually having a boat thrown your way and being mm. able to that sail and that experience, knowing too that even in that experience there will be rocky waves. Um, but it looks good from the boat lens. If you look at my Instagram, you can see that me and my husband love to be on the water. We I was a born and raised beach babe. As was my husband and um we live uh we live a beautiful life we live a very blessed life but it's taken a lot of work and a lot of treading to get to this place and i know likely because of my endurance level and my obedience now um that there will be some times where i might have to do it again um but let's take you back to to the time where i didn't know that i was on a rat wheel i thought i was achieving the american dream mm. i thought i was going after every good thing right good thing and god thing are different. And at the time I knew God, I knew that he existed. I actually was a youth leader in young life when I was in high school. Um, I, I had gone to church several times when I was younger and raised in uh, what would you would say, I guess, a traditional Christian home where you went to church on, on Sunday best uh, for holidays and to not necessarily check the box. I never really felt that way. I knew the Lord's prayer and we would say it nightly. Um, but it was not a consistent conversation, nothing like it is um, when it comes to worship and the, and the household that we now cultivate with our kiddos. And so um, I knew that that God existed, but I had no play of allowing him into my control, perfectionism, success driven, mm -hmm. achievement driven life. Um, everything was for the accolade. Everything was for the applause. And I was doing pretty well. I uh, was an entrepreneur on many different levels through my 20s. Um, but I was inside starved. I was inside mm. depraved. I was inside um, completely void and living in a shell. Uh, I was very good at this point in my life and wearing a mask that I didn't even know that I had um literally blanketed my life with. It was in every front from my body image to how I put on makeup, to what I wore, to the interactions that I had with people. Um, I was never good at cultivating relationship with women. And mm -hmm. I never really knew why, because my mom was my best friend and I, I liked her a lot, but for the most part, I was just living in that rat wheel, that, that understanding that there was somewhere to go and yet nowhere to go at the exact same time. And I was married and had kids at this point. And so I wow. think that there's a story in and of itself right here to recognize that the fairy tale that was being lived out on in flesh 
Uh, we were called Barbie and Kin a lot of the times. We had um, a house. We were the youngest uh, couple in the neighborhood. It was, in fact, my childhood uh, neighborhood. So that was neat. I was 17 houses down from my mom. We didn't have a white picket fence, but it might as well. We drove nice cars. We were both entrepreneurs. I had a boy first and a girl second. Talk about picture perfect. And so I felt the consistent pressure to live up to the expectations of Barbie and Ken. And how do you do that? And what does that feel like? It felt void. It felt like treading water, but from the outside looking in, I had a huge plastered smile because since I was little, everyone said your smile lights up a room Mm -hmm. and they expected that form that version of me. And I put those expectations and that pedestal lifestyle as um, a proud expression to who I was. And so I was working about 70 hours a week uh, This at this point, cultivating two different businesses, one which was a global entity um, connected to an Australian company and was being brought to the American market and the United Kingdom and Canada. And I was doing that what felt like on a um, single expression of talent, even though I had a team and then also uh, owned a business with my mom in a local brick and mortar store and online boutique. And this specific day, I came home after living this dual life, this dual life of um, entrepreneurship, mompreneurship, uh, thinking I was doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, and yet I was suppressing every real raw emotion with so many culturally normal things. Hmm. We'll get into those cultural norms in just a second, but I pulled into the driveway and I had just weaned my nine-month-old baby who was already walking because she wanted to keep up with her rambunctious big brother. And uh, instead of her coming to me after a really long work day, she waddled back to daddy. And daddy was outside and my little boy was on his bike and he was talking to the neighbors and it seemed picture perfect. And when that happened, I had this experience of looking at my tombstone and thinking, this is not it. This is not the fulfillment that I want to have at the end of my days. And I want to be mother first and foremost. I want to be wife as well. And daughter of the king, like none of that was even in my frame, my phrase, my mind. I didn't know who God was. And I went inside instead of trying to seek that attention from my daughter or son, because I, again, just felt void. And I went back into isolation And it wasn't until a couple of weeks later where um, I was that void, that that suppression, those coping mechanisms were discovered. And that discovery process um, was was very painful. And I know that there's other people who have been found out and I'll say found out whether you've been called out in areas of shame, you've been called out in areas of sickness or hardship. And it feels really hard when your problems are brought to light. Um, but I had choices at that point. Do I lean in to the light and allow the transformation from what would have been my tombstone, which was just successful entrepreneur, but completely alone? Or do I lean mm-hmm. in um, to what will be the cultivation of the life that I will continue to lead every day moving forward? And I chose the hard route. Um, even though there were ideations of divorce in my mind, and I brought those to light during that experience as well, my husband couldn't figure it out. He's like, who is this person that I married? He, he married the mask. 
and he didn't know what was going on behind closed doors of my brain, of my mental thought patterns, of my heart. Um, and I was, I was isolated in those spaces. I had never told anybody about the things that had occurred or things that had happened in the shadows of my life. And some of them I had suppressed so much in areas like alcohol, in areas like shopping, in areas like culturalism um, and addictions um, and, and understanding that addictions are more than just drugs and alcohol as well, uh, because there are so many societal norms of addiction nowadays. And so I had to go on this journey and this journey was so hard. This journey um, led me to coming to know Jesus in the way that I know now. And mm -hmm. it was an undressing that occurred in front of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I went from being completely downcast in the things that had been discovered and fully not even still knowing myself or what those discoveries would be to a moment where God literally lifted my chin. And I remember seeing light, just like halo of light around me and him literally saying, you are fully seen, you are fully known, and I still love you. Mm. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever, ever been told to the full capacity that every nook and cranny was loved, beautiful, known and seen. And I didn't have to stand in shame um, when his light was casting into all of those parts, parts of my body and my being. Wow. 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 Tamara, you just said so much. Um, I want to I'm trying to think of where to launch into because you just said so much. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me was one you said um you're basically surrounded by people as you tell your story we get this image of your life you're surrounded by people you're wearing the smile and despite the fact that you're surrounded by people you have a beautiful family uh you're isolated um talk about that for a second because i feel like there are people listening who can relate to that you can be completely surrounded by people that uh, you love. You can be surrounded by people that love you, but you can still very much be isolated. Can you touch on that for a second? Yeah, I, and I think this is something that started, I know actually it was something that started at a very young age for me. And it wasn't until I got into therapy that it was really fully discovered and uncovered. Um, I had worn shame because of so many different choices. And I thought that there were choices that I solely made and come to find out I had actually been um, sexually assaulted by a, a little one who, I say little, he, he felt like a man, he looked like a man in my eyes, he had a mental handicapped and um, he would quiet and silence my mouth with his finger. He was obsessed with three stooges and he would put his finger over top of my mouth at the mere age of three, three mm. and a half, four. And it was done so underneath the wing and the location of our family, of our loved ones. And so it's the knowing that um, lots can happen in the midst of what you think is surrounded by loved ones. And later, um, a couple years, I ended up discovering pornography for the first time during a game of hide and seek. It became my regular hiding place. Um, it then led into experiences of cyber sex when AOL dial up internet started. Um, it was chat rooms, late night conversations that lit, then led into conversations with um, boys and the opposite sex when I had access to my first cell phone um, all hours of the night and eventually obviously led to actual bedrooms. And um, from there, just losing my sense of identity even more so. 
And so when you think about walking into a room of crowded people, all eyes on you, expecting a one version of yourself and feeling like a different version of yourself, you feel like you're living between two worlds and it's pretty hard to be fully present. I never actually was. I was constantly in this state of being of achievement. And so how could Mm -hmm. I help more people think that this is the best version of me. Maybe if I try harder, these other portions of me will disappear. And I never felt fully released from them. And I felt like they followed me. They were like shadows in my life. And I think a huge part of it was this understanding of body image and what is health. And my dad was a personal trainer and nutritionist when I was little. My mom um, was really into marathon running alongside my dad as well. I was a gymnast very, very early. And so I was constantly in a leotard. Um, so that alone, it makes me think of like the bared skin, right? That, that we exist in society and it's the normalized experience, the more skin, the better. Right. And, um, so I, I feel like we can be in that room and we can be bare naked and nobody cares. Mm. Nobody actually cares. Nobody actually is willing to look into the depths of your soul and even see that that smile is fake. And I have been so incredibly blessed and graced with an empathy factor that I never, ever had now that I have been bared before God. Hmm. He has helped reestablish my identity in him. And I can see the brokenness of the world. And I can go into those rooms with tons of people. And I can just look into the souls of people and be able to connect with them in a way that was never done for me. Um, And I will say that my husband uh, leaned into his faith in the simultaneous time that I did with exploration of what are the answers? How can I I keep hold of this woman that I love so deeply? And how can I help um, her understand her beauty? And the person that I do feel like I see that she's never allowed me to see, and I still in the same way, love and eye contact and intimacy were a huge part of those things. And so I'm grateful that I have him at my side to be able to see me on the days that my smile is still there, but I'm actually sad. Um, and, And so those are the people that I now surround myself with because I've given them access to those dark points. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a huge point for people to understand. It's okay to be the light. It's okay to walk into a room and be a a vibrant energy and and now a vibrant vessel for God, but it's also okay to be equally vulnerable with those people and allow them to see behind the curtain because what you see on social media is fun and light and vibrant. But if you read what I write on social media, you see the vulnerability and the transparency. I never want somebody to think that my life is perfect. I never want somebody to think that my smile is always smiling um, because Mm. there are every angle, facet, scared, sad, fearful, all of that exists. And so in order for us to exist in full humanity and connect with people in those massive rooms and even in social media world, we've got to say, um, this is me, the fullness of who I am and the stories matter. Wow. One of my one of my favorite moments in the life of, in the ministry of Jesus was when he walked into the locked room, and Thomas uh, was angry and he was uh, bitter and disillusioned, and Jesus shows everyone in the room his wounds. This incredible moment of transparency of here's where I was wounded, but I rose anyway. I think I think that's one of the signs that healing has occurred. I think it's one of the signs that Christ has done something different in our hearts and our lives and he's transforming us so we have the capacity 
Tamara, to walk into a room and say, here's my wounds. I think there's something about that that gives other people permission to admit that they have them too, to, to actually roll up their sleeves and say, you know what, I was, you know what, I was wounded too. And um, to your point, you said earlier, uh, the temptation to numb our pain with all of the culturally normal things, being, being addicted in front of one another without even realizing it or acknowledging it. Um, I, think, I think there's something about owning where we've been broken, owning where we've been wounded, and just walking into the room and saying, hey, here's why I've been wounded. But because of Christ, I got back up. And that's what you're doing right now. That's what you're doing and you're doing it well. And I believe God's gonna to continue to give, the, give you the platform to do that. Um, you said something else earlier about wearing a mask. And uh, we actually had this conversation previously, but I, I'm absolutely convinced, Tamara, that everybody goes through life and they're trying to figure out their mask. And uh, because every human being longs to know at least two things, they're fully known by someone and they're fully loved by that same someone. And uh, it can be scary to take off that mask. That can be scary because you, we, we put on our mask to attract love to us. We want people to love us. Um, and at first it works. At first it works. It actually does what we thought it would do. The problem is over time, we're not sure. Do they love me or my mask? And that's a scary moment because I feel like, because for me to get my joy and peace back, for me to walk out this new identity in Christ, I have to have the, find the courage to take this mask off if I'm ever really gonna feel loved and, and love myself. Talk to us just for a second about that. How, how scary was that for you? What was the, emotionally, what was it like for you after building this life based on a mask? Describe that to us. What was it like taking off the mask? Yeah, that was uh, very pivotal in my story and a huge part of um, how I'm still married today. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. But the first part of that was um, being able to rid myself of the shame that I was carrying, you know, in that love that Jesus blanketed me with in that moment and that utter forgiveness, I had not forgiven myself. And um, part of those things were, were, um, were pieces that I feel like I knew inevitably were going to happen. And, and that is the scariest part, right? We create this crutch on these emotional experiences that are taking place inside of our mind. And when you live inside of your mind, instead of inside of your actual body and being and the identity piece, uh, you, you live in the shadows of your existence. And so in order for me to rid myself of shame, in order for me to even come into the identity factor and say yes to what God was teaching me in that time, which was that I was a daughter of a king, which was that I was worthy, which was that I was beautiful, which was that I was a wife and I was an honorable wife at that. So for 30 days, and I didn't count specifically, but I know it was about a month. I couldn't, I couldn't brush my teeth in the mirror. Mm. I couldn't really even get ready in the mirror. Um, it was enough that I would see myself in my reflection and it was enough to move on to the next task. But I had gotten rid of all of those roles. Those CEO positions had to go away because the titles that I was describing myself by no longer mattered. What mattered was my sanity. What mattered was my life. I had suicidal ideation at this time. I was shaking, convulsing through the night um, out of fear of what would happen in the morning. I was Googling what is wrong 
wrong with me? Is this, is this an anxiety attack? Is this depression? Is it just suicidal ideation? And then that's okay too. And, and understanding that the mask literally kept me safe and in safe in the worldly terms, but not in the loving terms of the father. Right. He didn't want me to be in that place. So as I slowly progressed, I actually signed up for a worship school, which sounds really weird, but I found <laughs> very quickly in my research and Googling one, I didn't really know what was wrong with me. Um, how do you define yourself? I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't a drug addict. I, I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong. And so I went to therapy and in that therapy was when I had that uncovering, but I also wanted to seek his face and I needed something that was going to keep me contained in a safe Harbor. In addition to being in the four walls of my home. So we went back, we retreated my husband and I into the nucleus instead of the parties. I couldn't go mm. anywhere where there was people. Cause I couldn't even make eye contact with myself. How could I make eye contact with other people? The only place that we went was church. And even at church, I couldn't make eye contact for nearly a year. So I did this worship school and I, I did it. It was called Burn 24-7 uh, alongside Sean Foyt, who is doing a, a global uh, right now, a national experience with Let Us Worship. And it's just insane to see how his ministry has taken off. But that time uh, I got to intimately know who God saw me as. And I got to intimately know who is Tamara at the core. Questions that were asked to me were, what are you passionate about? And I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I spent our life savings, cultivating businesses. We had nothing to our name. We were actually hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt at this point. And my husband and I both being entrepreneurs, we didn't have health insurance. Like there was so much brokenness again at this time from the outside in picture perfect. Right. And so I went on this experience of understanding intimately. If I am loved this much, why are so many things broken? And so in therapy, we were given communication strategies as a husband and wife, because as I gained to know myself, I now had to share that self with the person who I co-parented with and was living with and truly did love, love him dearly. And so we did this exercise and I encourage every married person to experience it. And we, we sat knee to knee, eye to eye in the intimacy of our bedroom. And um, we had to each share stories with one another, stories um, that were about 15 to 20 minutes long, a story that that other person had never known about us. And we were now seven years into our relationship together, about four years married, I believe is what it was. And um, that seven year itch conversation, right? There's a real, there's a realness to it. And so we sat there and we had to share stories, but the key component of sharing and communicating and creating intimacy is the knowing that you cannot listen to respond. In fact, you don't even get to respond at all before you go to bed. You simply have to actively listen. You have to hold their hands, even the sweaty palms and the nervous ticks, and you get to look into their soul as they're sharing something with you. And these are not secrets. Um, these are secrets, but they're also just not storylines that have fluff. Like one day I went to Disney World. No, 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 no. Share the depths of how you are, who you are, and those pivotal moments in your life that you've forgotten, that you've hidden away so far 
far that you never wanted anybody to know about. And then you would have to sleep with that information, whether you were the one sharing it and all the vulnerability, or you were the one receiving it. All you wanted to do is give them words of affirmation and just let them know that you're there for them and you hear them. And the following day, you sit in the same exact position and you get to just affirm them in the results of what it is that they shared. How do you actually feel? Not a quick-witted emotion, but the actual depth. And ultimately, it always stems back to love. And so I got to fall back in love with my husband. I got to fall in love with myself for the very first time. And I got to fall in love with Jesus, who was someone I only knew from afar. And that is truly how I now get to live every single day. And instead of just keeping those beautiful things to myself, I get to share them with the world. And I mm -hmm. shared them one by one, not only with my kids, but with my family. I've seen redemption happen in my extended family, in the people who I had to leave behind during this intimate experience, people who I love dearly, who loved me dearly, and I could not look in the eye. I could not speak to, I could not have in my vicinity because they were not pouring life in. They were actually extracting death and they expected me to be that mask. And I wasn't able to give it in that season. And so my encouragement to you, if you're listening is to know a couple of things. One, you are fully seen, you are fully known, and you are fully loved in every single nook and cranny of who you are. But additionally, that this is a journey, that this is a process, that there is not this new being of Tamara, this new sense of identity that just is, is done, that is complete. I am in a process of becoming. I have so much to learn. I have so much to continue to surrender. I have so much of my flesh that wants to live out, even in my entrepreneurial realm. So it's a daily sacrifice. It's a daily knowing that in my vulnerability and my showing up in the authenticity of who I am doesn't mean that it's all smiles and pretty. It means that I don't wear eye makeup. Like I literally stopped wearing makeup uh, at the beginning of COVID. Um, and, and this was to empower women to say, I don't need false eyelashes to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. and, and it is just, it's empowered clients. It's empowered uh, my best friends. And, and yes, do I get glam sometimes? Sure, it's super fun. But now I have a total different sense of self, health, wealth, um, just being. There's just a whole nother component to who Jesus calls us to rather than who the world says we are. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is absolutely the word that I keep hearing is transformation, Tamara. I think there's transformation. The, the love of Jesus still has the capacity to transform our lives. And that's what I'm hearing. And it's in a beautiful story. Um, yeah, I think um, if I can just comment on, on a thought you just shared, I, I do think there's the reality of taking your mask off. And one of the things that we fear, of course, is if I take it off, will will people walk away from me? Will I be able to maintain all of my relationships? And Quite frankly, probably not all of them, and nor do you want to. I think the reason why our relationships feel in that season of our life so extremely shallow, Tamara, to be quite honest, is because they are. Totally. Is because they are shallow. And uh, I, I think oftentimes the enemy wants to convince us that this is as good as it gets and this is, this is normal, but that's not true. The abundant life that Jesus wants us to experience is rich. It's full of deep, meaningful relationships that are vulnerable and transparent and real. And I think the moment we take off our mask, two things happen. The people who shouldn't be in our lives leave and the people that need to be in our lives finally show up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the gifts we give ourselves when we give ourselves permission to take off that mask. What a beautiful and incredible story. And I think that's a perfect segue into, into this question. Um, here, here is what... Uh, we've discovered, Tina and I have discovered in our own lives and our own journey. Um, 
the unspoken truth about pain is if if I don't turn and face it, if I don't turn it at some some point, deal with it, it will deal with me. Um, and it usually happens uh, in ways that I wasn't hoping it would. Um, so here, here's my question. Why do you think numbing our pain can initially feel more attractive than healing from our pain? Mm, that's so good. What a great question. You know, I think the numbing makes you feel connected to the other people who are also numbing. Mm. And so the emotional turmoil that was existing inside of me was being equally met by other people who were broken. And I, I don't want to call out any any person, uh, family member or friend who I was connected with in that shallowness, but shallow existence, even shallow, quote unquote, partying, right? That happy hour experience. I was only looking surface deep and so were they. Mm. And for us, that was enough. But when I started looking to the depths of my soul in that mirror, when I saw myself for beautiful because of who God made me to be rather than who the mirror showed me to be and who my husband was calling out to be. I have friendships now that I created that depth in a matter of weeks. Yeah. And they will never leave my side and I them because there is an access point that's been given in that vulnerability, in that transparency. We call each other to a higher level of excellence. On the days that I choose to cope, they call me out. Right. And there's been given that a sense of authority because they know who I am called to be. I never mm. let anybody else know who I was called to be because I never identified as a child of God. What level of excellence does the secular world have? What level of excellence does the CEO have? Nobody is, is given um, rules and regulations to live by. And it's not to say that religion does, but there is a level of excellence regardless of any um, religious understanding that if I'm meant to be like Jesus, and if you follow who he is and what he did when he was here, there's a level of excellence that I, I, I can only, I can only desire to attain, but to know that I am always becoming gives me grace in the fact that I don't have to be perfect in that achievement that it's a, mm -hmm. it's a journey. And, and yet at the very same time, it's the knowing that I don't have to cope to feel I get to experience my emotions, which are God given emotions. That's right. right? And, and then to lean into God, what do you say about this? That's well, right. Why do I feel this way? And so a couple of years ago, um, my, my son come, came up to me and we are very um, a health conscious home. And I know you guys are as well. And we practice something called landscape design, which is they can basically have access to anything in the fridge at any given hour of the day and anything in the pantry they can't and wouldn't really want because it's not a snack. They have to cook it they have to prep it and they don't know how to do that yet. They're still little. And so he came up to me this one particular day and he said, hey, mama, can I have a try of your drink? And it was drinking wine. And uh, I was like, no, 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 that's an adult drink. And he was like, well, how come you can put it in your body, but I can't put it in mine? And I thought to myself, and I was like, man, it's a great question, dude. It's a really good question. The next day I come home and it's about four o'clock and my daughter says, do you want me to get your wine? Four years old. Mm. And I knew that the whole mantra, mama drinks wine, mama needs a marg, the whole culture that has been societally normalized as okay, the lukewarm, right? It's okay. Mm. I was like, no more. 
there's alcoholism and addiction in my family on so many different realms and so many different sides. And I refuse to let the things that I still need to be sharpened by that provide coping to be the thing that inhibits my children from thriving Mm -hmm. and my marriage from thriving. And so for the last two and a half years to not have a sip of alcohol when I really wanted to, um, because I wanted to suppress stress because I wanted to suppress what I was actually feeling and instead lean into just hugging my husband, Mm. right? Hugging my children, being present. I could never get that time back. Wow. And I never regret not being hungover. So there's that too. Wow. Wow. Uh, What a great uh, transition point for this next question. Um, You touched on this a little bit earlier, and I think it's such a relevant point to our culture and to those in positions of leadership. Um, I think sometimes when you talk about numbing pain, I think people are quick to think about obvious addictions. But um, uh, Tamara, what are, um, from your perspective, some ways that we tend to numb our pain without even really realizing what we're doing? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind as you're saying that is the, is the numbing scroll, right? Mm. We're so addicted to our phones. We're so addicted yeah. to devices. We're so addicted to being seen, known, and loved. And none of those people can see, know, and love you. It's the right. people who are in your close proximity in your vicinity and who actually have access to you like Jesus does at every given moment to be able to provide you love. But we scroll. Um, and in that scroll, guess what happens? There's gaming, that happens. There are um, comparison traps that occur. Mm -hmm. There are emotional deposits that are taking place based on the opposite sex affirming you. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in that, you now are exploring and you're having conversations in your head of, is the grass greener? right? And and that's truly what social media is giving you. Is there a grass greener than where you are right now? Mm. The grass is only greener where you water it. It is so critical for us to realize that those things lead to so many other things. I don't have a pornography addiction and haven't since those magazines were removed from my my mind or from my eyes, but they were always in my mind. Did I have a pornography addiction? Yes. Was it what you thought it was or what it could be seen as? No. Could Mm -hmm. anybody trace my porn addiction? No. Could anybody trace my sex addiction? Mm, Hardly. Right. And so it's the knowing that the things that are societally okay are now just like pacifiers. They're literally just pacifying the problems of life. They're pacifying the devil. That's what they're really doing. Mm. And they're allowing there to be no actual transparency in what's going on in the minds and, and bodies of our, of our people, of our brothers and our sisters. And that's the part that's so heartbreaking. People are doing it with food, right? Sugar, caffeine. They're mm-hmm. so addicted and it's societally okay. If you have Starbucks in your hand, you're a cool mom, mm. right? And again, it, it's so much more than that. It's the mindful practice of becoming more like Jesus. And you have to do that mind, body, and spirit. But if you are not willing to put your mental health as a priority in your life, your emotional stability is haywire and therefore social coping is the only thing you can do. Wow. Uh, it's so good. You, you know, Tamara, I've discovered um, as well that one of, um, especially for leaders or or highly ambitious people, I think one of the drugs of choice um, when we're really dealing with, dealing with a lot of pain, uh, and it's so sneaky, uh, because to your point, you're around everyone else who's using the same drug, uh, is pace. 
Mm. I, I just keep ramping up the pace, you know, and uh, I run harder and faster and harder and faster and harder and faster until eventually there's nothing left in the tank. And usually that's a hard crash. But have you discovered, I mean, are you seeing that yourself? I mean, we live in this culture where it, we're all, we've got these wounds, we've got this pain. And so we just sort of tick up the pace and find, you know, we've got a, a 12 inch plate, but we pick up 18 inches worth of work. Yeah, that's good. Uh, work and food, right? Like we know that our portions are supposed to be smaller, right? And as you were saying, pace, I was actually um, ideating money, right? And, mm. and ideating that the chase of success. Um, and, and I lived there. I literally lived dollar sign, ding sign on my phone to ding sign. I was like, oh, I got another one. And I would be in the middle of a date night with my husband or date night lack of, right? It was a superficial date night. We were doing right. something together, but there was no sense of intimacy. And, and I think so often when it comes to that race, when it comes to that um, understanding of pace, we're comparing ourselves, but we're really don't know what we're comparing ourselves to. Mm-hmm. Are you comparing yourself to Jeff Bezos? Are you comparing yourself to Elon Musk? Are you comparing yourself to Gandhi? I'm not sure, but whoever you're comparing yourself to, it's the realization that your pace is going to be drastically different than everybody else's pace. Yeah. And I have people often, because I move pretty quickly, as you can tell by how fast I talk, is that um, I, I'm not going to be able to keep up. And they tell me this. I've, I've literally had a conversation where someone said, I'm really worried for you. There's no way you're going to be able to keep this pace. And I really reflected because I believe in constructive criticism. I believe in feedback, especially if it's somebody who's in their faith and, and I respect what, where they're coming from, from a God connection. This wasn't the case in that conversation, but I still am am open to that. Mm -hmm. And I reflected and I talked to my husband and the outcome to that conversation was one, they don't know my God and two, they don't know my energy source. And so I believe when you're living in your purpose, the fullness of your purpose, and you understand who you're connected to and how you've gotten where you've gotten, you become a conduit of God's energy. You become a conduit of God's love. And the pace paralleled to how Jesus would want you to get there, because sure, do I want to go harder, faster sometimes? Yes, but guess what happens? Burnout right? Guess what happens? Overwhelm. Guess what happens? Stress. Guess what happens? Anxiety. I feel those things. And so anytime I sense those red flags, my husband and I are so connected. He calls it out. I call it out in him. And I say, we, we need that minute miniature escape. Mm-hmm. Is it a knee to knee experience? Is it getting on the water in a place that creates happiness and calm? Is it letting go of all devices and just being with our kids and playing a game? Is it just snuggling? Is it extra sleep? Is it pouring into a book? Is it opening the Bible? Is it going to church? Is it finding a worship night? I mean, there are so many healthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. when we allow pace to be our problem. And at this point, if that's my sharpening that I need to get done, I'm in because all the other things that I've let go of in the past, woo, they're a lot harder. <laughs> than I can come into pace every single day. Um, but this is the thing I wake up at four or four 30 and I'm on a run and I'm on clubhouse and I'm with my kids when they wake up and I'm, you know, we're doing all the things. And I do believe it's a societal trap of busy. And this is the huge Mm. transformation that happened in my life from living those dollar sign dings to 70 hour work weeks to now having the freedom to just take off whenever I want because I've cultivated my life like that is the knowing that I don't have to, I get to, Mm. right? I don't have to do anything. I get to do things. And in addition to know that my worthiness is not in the success of what the world sees me as my worthiness and identity is fully established in him. And to him, I'm already all the things. 
Mm-hmm. And so why try to be all the things for everybody else? That's right. And at the end of the day, guess where I'm standing? Face to face with Jesus, just like I was in that moment when he told me I was fully known and fully seen and fully loved. And those points of my life are when I know without a shadow of a doubt, because he gives me vision to the next step, because I'm aligned in the understanding of this is where I need you to go next. How you get there might not be in in the way that I anticipate, and it might not be at the pace that he would want me to go, but he always provides. Mm. Tamara, I have one more question. We share a similar passion. We, We have this desire to obliterate shame. Shame keeps us from seeing ourselves the way our Heavenly Father sees us. It will keep us from giving ourselves permission, to your point, to live the life that God created us for. For the person that's listening and they're struggling with this lingering sense of old shame, what would you tell them to help them get victory over that shame? classify your title. I would say that you are letting still to this day, and and I've done this, so I understand you are letting the titles of the textbooks, the titles of the rehab, the title of the therapist, the title of the podcast that you're listening to dictate who you are. And that's simply not true. It's an enemy tactic to keep you entangled. And I believe in that fully known and fully loved desire that every single person has, that there is a simple knowing that they are made for more, that they are not that thing. Mm. And so if you can realign your life and do so in every realm of your being, it's not just mental health. It's not just spiritual health. It's also physical health and emotional health. If you can do all of those things on a consistent basis, touch those areas, not in striving, but in desire to know, in a desire to understand, and to desire to love yourself the way God sees you, you will not hold on to those past titles. Mm -hmm. You will classify yourself first and foremost, just like you did. And I took note of that, Travis, the very beginning. You named me a believer before you even named me a wife. And that at the end of the day is who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately who they are too. Incredible. I want to recap today's transformational truth. God will dismantle your own pain and then use the pieces to build your platform. Tamara, where can people find you? I am mostly on Instagram and Clubhouse. I also have my own podcast called the Fit in Faith podcast. So look me up, Tamara Andrews, pretty much everywhere. Um, This has been absolutely a treasure. And as you say, the dismantling of the pain, there was one final point that I wanted to share. And it was the vision that I had in the beginning when you said that. Um, And it was with Pastor Tony Miller, who has since passed and gone to the other side of heaven. Um, But he was sharing at Ron Carpenter Jr.'s church redemption in Greenville, South Carolina. And he was up on stage. And he was talking about building your life as an altar. And I believe that every single one of us have this opportunity and this calling. And it's not about what business you're in. It's not about what ministry you lead. It's about the life that you lead from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. And legacy is less about the story and more about the impact. And the impact might be one person. The impact might just be you. But God has positioned you in the place that you are for your life to be the altar that somebody else can run to. And in order to do that, 
You have to let go of the shame. You have to embrace your identity and you have to be willing to vulnerably share about it. And so I hope that this empowers others to do what we've done here today and to know that you are fully loved in the fullness of who you are. And um, I would love to pray with people. Um, if they want to come and find me on social media, I, I'm all for it. Um, I believe that that is the ultimate way to obliterate shame is to give it all to him because he's willing to exchange it for your identity today. Amen and amen. And if you'd like to connect with Tamara, please check out the links that we've included for you in the show notes. And if transformational truths is helpful to you, please do me a favor, take a moment, go to Apple iTunes, rate the show, write us a quick review. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Tamara, thank you for joining us today. Thank you.